Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self meets the world and contributes to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to energize and inspire you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Emma Kate Swan. As Vice President of Leadership and Transformation at Healthy Companies International, Emma Kate helps organizations navigate change by coaching executives to optimize their performance and guiding teams to build more productive relationships. Trained in organizational psychology, Emma Kate has led global leadership development initiatives focused on high potential employees. She is co-author, along with Bob Rosen, of the book Conscious, The Power of Awareness in Business and Life. Welcome to the podcast, Emma Kate. I'm delighted that you're here. Oh, it's great to be here, Ursula. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so fascinated by your book and this whole realm of consciousness and being aware of ourselves, being aware of others. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. You talk in your book about how conscious is the new smart. So what's the power of awareness? Yeah. So um, just to give you a little bit of background, Healthy Companies International, my company, has been researching and working with global CEOs and senior executives for about 25 years now. And some of our most recent research was where we conducted a Harris poll with over 2,000 working adults who were over 18 years of age. And what we wanted to do was understand how Americans view leaders and their ability to navigate in what we're experiencing at the moment, which is a rapidly changing world. And what we found in that research is that a strong majority of Americans believe that conscious leaders, and we define conscious leaders as those who are aware of themselves, they're aware of their relationships and their impact on others, and they're aware of their environment and are able to adapt to the context and environment in which they're operating. Um, So uh, the Americans found that conscious leaders can vastly improve their organizations, the impact on their organizations, yet only half of those surveyed think that C-level executives exhibit truly conscious behaviors. So we talk about in conscious that conscious is the new smart because many of us have been told that being smart is the best way to success. You know, if we learn a new subject or take an advanced degree or or build a, a better spreadsheet, for example, that we can advance in our roles. But we believe that our obsession with being the smartest in the room doesn't work anymore. And it actually gets in the way of us being able to adapt. We believe that being conscious is really what is needed in order to operate in this accelerating and disruptive world. So how does being smart get in the way of that? Yeah. So um, when we talk about being smart, let me start by saying there's nothing wrong with being smart, right? Um, 
you know, having knowledge in, and, and learning as much as we can about our particular field is absolutely imperative, but we think it's table stakes. Um, what can actually get in the way in terms of the smart paradigm is that often the smart paradigm is based on a scarcity principle. So we can believe that there's not enough to go around, whether it's knowledge or resources or opportunities. And what that does is it pushes people to make sure they fight for what is rightfully theirs. So for example, if I show you that I'm the smartest in the room, then I'll get access to a bigger share of the budget, resources and opportunities. Now, in contrast, being conscious is based on an abundance principle. So when we have that mindset, we believe that there is enough to go around. There is enough knowledge and, you know, I want to share my knowledge and that results in us being more collaborative and generous towards others. Um, and so if you think about what we need to operate in our constantly accelerating world where our individual knowledge gets quickly outdated. We need to be collaborating with others. We need to be sharing knowledge. Um, and that conscious mindset is what's going to help us do that. Well, I know there's been a lot of interest in companies now about mindfulness. So how is that, how is that all different from mindfulness? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I'm a huge supporter of mindfulness. And, you know, if I think about just sort of the definition of mindfulness is your ability to maintain a moment to moment awareness of our thoughts and our feelings and our body, as well as our surrounding environment. And we define being conscious as awareness in action. Mm. So conscious leadership actually builds on mindfulness by marrying awareness with the leadership actions we need to be demonstrating in our leadership roles within organizations like decision-making and goal-setting, for example. So having leaders at all levels who are conscious is critical because we really need leaders who can appreciate, you know, the need for things like diversity and inclusion and talent management and ethical behavior. So by bringing that conscious mindset to bear on the operations of a company, it results then in increased productivity and engagement and really directly then impacts the bottom line. Well, I, Something that struck me as I was reading your book is uh, I tend to think of introverts as people who are naturally more introspective and uh, perhaps more self-aware, although I guess the two don't necessarily have to correlate, but are they, is that something you found in your work? Have you found that introverts approach being conscious differently? Yeah, that's a, a very thoughtful and interesting question. Um, so our observations have been that introverts and extroverts have similar level, can have similar level of, of self-awareness and also similar values around becoming more conscious, but they tend to approach it differently. So introverts and extroverts tend to have different strengths as it relates to becoming more conscious. So if we think about introverts, um, they lean towards a preference for introspection over action and they like thinking and processing internally within themselves. While extroverts prefer action over introspection. So they prefer to think out loud and through external dialogue with others. So if we take our definition of conscious leadership is awareness in action, both introspection and action are important to demonstrate conscious leadership. So for extroverts, they have a strength in applying their awareness as they interact with the external world, 
but they can let action take precedence over awareness and become impulsive with their actions. So what they need to be more intentional about is going inside of themselves to become more conscious of their actions. In contrast, introverts need to be intentional about going outside of themselves to test their ideas in the, in the real world rather than getting stuck in their preference for introspection. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I mean, I'm really hearing a balance between action and self-reflection. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, as you know, the topic of this podcast is, is impact. And my definition for impact is where your unique and best self meets the world and makes it a better place for all of us. So what, is, what, what impact does becoming more conscious have on individuals and also on organizations? Yeah. So um, I mentioned our research earlier and um, just to give you some context around that, we've actually conducted research with over 500 senior executives across 50 countries. And we've also been working with executives for the past 25 years. So our observations in our research and in our work with executives is that conscious individuals or conscious people are really the, the drivers of transformation and change. And all the CEOs that we're talking about are asking the question, how can I create transformation, transformation and change in order to keep up with and actually get ahead of a constantly um, changing world? So in sharing the principles of being conscious, our aim is really to prepare people to thrive in this particular environment. And so at an individual level, conscious leaders have the ability to better adapt and outperform their peers. Um, they also can tap into their own potential as well as the potential of those they lead. And when you then scale those skills throughout an organization, the result is that you have confident, agile and resilient people. They're engaged in healthy relationships and they can then serve on collaborative, high-performing teams. And then at the highest level, if we think about the societal level, our observations are that more conscious people are aware of their unconscious biases. They have a generosity of spirit and they have a desire to make a bigger contribution in the world. So these mindsets are really key in dealing with the level of complexity as well as the sensitivity around the issues that we're faced with in our communities today. Mm, that's really great to hear that. I, one of the things that also struck me about your book was around the, the you talk about um, having a, sense of abundance like there's more than mm -hmm. enough and that that it's really our interactions with each other that our reliance on each other that helps us um, really build the kinds of companies that we, we want to build so can you talk a little bit more about that about the community aspect yeah, absolutely. And and if we think about, again, the context in which entrepreneurs and organizational leaders are needing to, to operate, in a business world where we have increasing levels of complexity, our ideas as leaders and entrepreneurs become quickly outdated. And as you mentioned, Ursula, conscious leaders have an abundance mindset. So they rely on others to build and deepen their own thinking and perspective rather than simply relying on their own perspective when they're solving issues. And they also understand that their greatest asset is their personal ecosystem. So who they know and how they connect to people in their personal ecosystem or, or communities really provides a real strong advantage in business and life. And 
you know, if we think about the outcome when we have people who are now connected by technology all over the world, those who have strong ecosystems and communities also have personal influence power to get things done and to make things happen. And these are the leaders who will get ahead. Well, and I mean, the old model is really around uh, in hoarding information and uh, I mean, in, in its worst in its worst form, there's a kind of holding of of uh, knowledge and and uh, <clears throat> not being able to move forward if you don't have that. Uh, so this is the model that you're proposing. The the conscious approach is really one where people can work together far more collaboratively. That's right. And if you think about sort of the level of complexity we're dealing with, we only have as individuals a small piece of the full picture. So we really need to be collaborating with others in order to be successful. Well, I know that in the book you describe the four steps to becoming more conscious, and I really want to get into that in more detail. But can you tell us what the four steps are and what each of them means briefly, and then we can kind of get into each one Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is about going deep. And this is about helping you discover your inner self. So it's it's about learning who you are, where you come from, and why you do what you do. And this particular practice deals directly with the pitfall that we've observed around leaders often being too shallow in our own understanding of ourself. Um, This level of self-awareness is really foundational for them being able to develop in the other three practices I'll now talk about. So the second one is about thinking big, and this is about stepping outside of yourself. It's about expanding your mind, and it's about seeing a bigger landscape. So it helps you deal with a pitfall that we've observed around people being too narrow in their thinking. So um, often in a disruptive world, we can get easily hijacked by our fixed mindsets and our distorted thinking and our unconscious biases and so we need to think big in order to do things like leading for today and tomorrow simultaneously to learn faster and to be more innovative and to navigate through complexity the third practice is called getting real and getting real is about transforming ourselves so Getting real deals with the pitfall of being too safe and stagnant in a constantly changing world. And, um, you know, we we talk to a a lot of CEOs and they're constantly asking the question around how can I transform my business? But we believe that in order for organisations to transform, its individual leaders also need to transform. And then finally, stepping up is the fourth practice. And this is about um, acting boldly and responsibly. So it's about stepping into your highest potential. Um, It's also about learning how to champion your higher purpose, build your legacy, and stretch people in constructive ways. And finally, it's about building a shared consciousness on your team. So we we talk about these four practices um, in order to really transform ourselves and our organizations. giving us that real ability to adapt to our environment. Well, uh, thank you for that overview. I'd love to get into each one of those a bit more. So, so your first step in becoming conscious, go deep. Um, you talk about the six roots of unconscious living, and I was intrigued by that because I think of people as choosing to be more conscious. And uh, so I'd like to know what's behind the, the unconsciousness that, that uh, we see operating in, in companies. 
Yeah, well, we we refer to the roots as a way of actually um, becoming more conscious. So grounding yourself, it's really the, sort of the foundation in becoming conscious. So we like to use a metaphor of a tree in a windstorm. So um, if you think about a tree, what keeps a tree standing upright um, in a windstorm are its roots. Um, and what we need to do as, as humans and as leaders is we need to ground ourselves in our roots. And the way that we define this, and, and this is all based on our research, is there's six roots that we talk about. One is our physical roots. This is how we live. Um, this is things like our diet, um, physical exercise, you know, our mindfulness practices. So what is our understanding of it, the connection between our body and our mind? Um, emotional roots is how we feel. And this is a lot of the work around emotional intelligence and how do we tap into our positive emotions. Intellectual roots is how we think. And this is about having a deep curiosity and being a lifelong learner and also being able to lead through paradox, which is about both and thinking rather than either or mm -hmm. thinking. Our social roots is how we interact with others. Um, so this is things like being authentic and building uh, relationships that are mutually rewarding. Our vocational roots are how we perform. So this is about having a meaningful calling and it's also about developing our personal mastery. And then finally, our spiritual roots is how we view the world. And, and sometimes this word throws people because they think spiritual roots is about religion. And for some people, that absolutely is the way that they view their spirituality or their spiritual roots. Um, but in terms of how we measured that in our research, um, that was um, defined by things like having a higher purpose as well as a generosity of spirit mm -hmm. and then leveraging diversity. So those six roots are how we can really stay grounded or rooted um, in, a, in a disruptive world, if you mm -hmm. like. Well, I love that you've taken such a holistic approach and uh, it, it's really incorporating all aspects of life and all mm -hmm. aspects of the individual. Interestingly, uh, if you had to guess, Ursula, which one would have the strongest relationship with effectiveness? Just, just you know, off the top of your head, which one would you say? Effectiveness, wow. Yeah. So out of those sort of six, the physical, emotional, yeah. social, vocational, spiritual and intellectual. I would guess emotional. Um, well, actually, that was the second okay. um, strongest. Yeah. yeah. So the, the one that was really surprising for us was actually spiritual health yeah. because um, we actually had predicted vocational health, which is about how you perform. Um, but the one that had the strongest relationship with effectiveness was spiritual health. And that opens up a whole new conversation um, with leaders and, and leaders with their teams around higher purpose, Absolutely. generosity of spirit, and how we can leverage diversity. So we were really excited about that particular finding. Yeah, I'm thrilled to hear that too. I guess I, I thought of that and then I thought, well, in the day-to-day you know, uh -huh. But I really like that you uh, that that was your finding because I, I think there's so much emphasis now on find your purpose and uh, be able you know find your why and and uh, it's through Simon Sinek's work. But I think that the reason that it's so popular is that it's resonating so strongly with people in terms of what is the greater meaning. Uh, what's what's the greater meaning of what I'm doing? How am I going to find fulfillment in what I'm doing? And it really gets to the yes. heart of that. Absolutely. And so it's nice to have some data that actually supports yeah. that it, it does predict higher performance. Yeah. So I, something else that interested me in this, in related to that is that um, successful entrepreneurs are, are um, 
they know discomfort very well. You have to be able to mm-hmm. go to your edge and really tolerate discomfort in order to, uh, and this is true of leaders, all leaders, where you need to be able to hold a place for the unknown. Um, and how, in, in your book, you talk about discomfort as the new immunization. Uh, can you tell us mm-hmm. more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and we would agree fully with, with your perspective there around that entrepreneurs and leaders need to deal with, you know, huge amounts of uncertainty and discomfort. So, you know, because we're living in a world full of uncertainty, the reality is that we need to get comfortable with it. Um, and we are all then by definition vulnerable. So we talk about discomfort as a new immunization because we need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. (laughs) Now, um, uncertainty makes us feel uncomfortable because we can't predict the future and it confuses us. It can impact our satisfaction and it can make us feel vulnerable. So we talk about innate wisdom that Innate wisdom is a more evolved state, a more, you know, it's where people have developed a level of being conscious. And this recognizes that there's a full continuum of human emotions that we experience. Um, it recognizes that we have a mind that is constantly growing and curious. And we also have the ability to demonstrate positive emotions, things like compassion and forgiveness and empathy. So when we're able to develop our innate wisdom, we can then have the confidence in ourselves to do two things, to create our own destiny in this level of uncertainty that we're dealing with. And at the same time, to accept uncertainty is the reality. So more conscious leaders who can access their innate wisdom see that discomfort and vulnerability are just a natural part of us. And so rather than resisting our feelings of discomfort, we need to lean into these feelings of vulnerability. And that then allows us to, to tap into our things like our creativity, our courage and our resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the way that we talk about this is that we say that more conscious leaders who tap into their innate wisdom are choosing to love through, to lead rather through love rather than fear. And I know this word love, sometimes we say, Oh, you can't use the word love in the workplace. And, and, you know, there is an appropriate and inappropriate use of that word. But when we talk about love, we talk about leading from a place of um, a sense of purpose, um, you know, love of what we do, a love of our colleagues um, and love of the impact that we're making in the world. And, um, when we're motivated by fear, we move away from perceived negative outcomes or situations. Whereas when we're leading through love, we're actually moving towards that thing that really matters to us and the impact that we want to make. And our observations are that that then increases performance rather than when we're motivated by fear, right. which actually um, impacts negatively on our performance. Well, and, and hopefully that love extends to our clients as well so that we're creating that kind of an environment where we're working with people in that context. And, yes. And also, I, it's interesting how the innate wisdom that you mentioned, it of course ties back to the spirituality in the sense that you're tapped into some kind of larger wisdom, some kind of greater sense of the world. Yes, absolutely. Um, And so we also refer to this as 
leveraging your accelerators. So we, we make this distinction in becoming more conscious around um, more conscious people learn to leverage their accelerators and manage their hijackers. So um, accelerators are things like hope and optimism, courage, resilience, grit, uh, discipline, whereas hijackers are things that keep us safe. So when we resist that discomfort we talked about, we can spiral into our hijackers. So rather than allowing um, the discomfort to be there and acknowledging it as normal, um, what happens is we try and control our environment and we end up um, showing up with hijackers, things like being too controlling in our behaviours, being perfection, perfectionistic, um, being aloof. So you know, keeping your distance in your relationships so that you can keep yourself safe. And those hijackers send us into negative performance versus the accelerators, which actually increase our performance. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for explaining the accelerators and hijackers, because that's something that you refer back to. Mm -hmm. the, the second step to becoming more conscious is uh, something you call think big. So you talk about expansion. So expanding your perspective, your networks, so you can overcome unconscious bias, and um, mm -hmm. I think that is so critically important. How does how does your awareness change um, how you lead? How that expansion of your awareness? Yeah, absolutely. And we all have unconscious biases, you know. So we're, we're wired to be drawn to those who are similar to ourselves. But you know, we talk in the book about if you if you develop diverse networks, we learn about other people who are different from ourselves, and we can also bust some of our assumptions um, or some of the stories that we tell ourselves, which are often unconscious about people who are different. So. You know, if we think about just the definition of bias is a tendency to believe in favor of or against a thing, a person or a group compared to another, usually in a way that's considered unfair. So when we become aware of our unconscious biases, we become more effective leaders. So if you take a common challenge um, that leaders or organizations are dealing with is how do we manage our top talent? Um, and attract and retain top talent. And if you think about when you're aware of your unconscious biases, the whole talent life cycle, so whether it's in the recruitment process, you know, the onboarding process, performance reviews, mentoring, you know, development and promoting and, and even offboarding, those unconscious biases can come into that whole process. But when we're aware of that, we can actually be more proactive in managing those processes so that we can be as fair as possible and also make sure that we are um, looking after our, our top talent in a way that's going to, you know, be fair and also serve the organization. Well, I, I had to laugh when I was reading about the Lake Wobegon effect, which fans <laughs> of the Prairie Home Companion uh, know about, but can you tell us what, what, what that effect is? Yeah. And so this is, uh, you know, this is a, an, un an example of an unconscious bias. And so the Lake Wobegon effect is based on the radio show, as you mentioned, you know, Prairie Home Companion. And it's a fictional town in which the show is set. Uh, now, it is lighthearted, but it, it does have a serious message that we can learn, you know, learn from, which is that we have an illusory superiority. So humans have this tendency to overstate or overestimate rather their achievements and capabilities. Um, in other words, we don't always look at reality for what it is and we can pretend it's something that it's not. And there's also some interesting research that backs this up uh, by Dr. Tasha Urich, 
in 2008, and she found that the more power a leader has, the less self-aware he or she tends to be. And in one study, which had 3,600 leaders, those in higher level roles relative to those in lower level roles were actually more likely to overestimate their level of skills for 19 out of 20 competencies. Wow. And some of, some of, exactly. So some of the uh, competencies included things like, you know, emotional self-awareness, empathy, trustworthiness, and, and, um, their general leadership performance. So I thought that that was a, a really interesting piece of research. It is, and it, it really highlights why 360 reviews are so valuable. Is yes, absolutely. It's a real eye-opener. That's yeah. for sure. Well, the third step in becoming conscious, get real, you talk about embracing, embrace reality, but not to be too safe or cautious, mm-hmm. which, is, mm-hmm. which is really tough. Um, so what's the... What's the outcome of that, embracing reality without being too safe? Yeah, well, if we think about the the context of organizational leaders and entrepreneurs, they need to be able to create something out of nothing. Um, And they also need to be able to take people into the unknown. So firstly, they need to get comfortable with this and they need to instill a, a sense of confidence in the people they're leading. So, you know, we've talked about that change is not comfortable. Um, it's not comfortable when you don't know, you know, how to do something and something's completely new to you. So what we talk about here is it really goes back to relying on your accelerators to move you into the unknown and avoiding certain hijackers. Um, so, you know, if we think about some of the examples, um, vulnerability is a key accelerator to help you embrace reality and get comfortable being uncomfortable. And Brené Brown has done some great work in in this area. Her her latest Um, book is uh, quite a, it's a very pointed focus on leadership and how uh, vulnerability is such an asset. Your willingness to be vulnerable. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to reading her latest book. Um, and then and then some of the other accelerators that help you do this are hope and optimism, resilience and self-compassion. And then some of the ones that get in the way that we need to manage are being overly controlling, per- perfectionistic and passive, for example. So, um, the other thing that conscious, more conscious people do is that they distinguish what simply they can and they cannot control in a world of uncertainty. And, you know, if I think of a, a really great example of this, Ben Sliney. So first day in the job, September 11, 2001, mm-hmm. you know, Federation Aviation Administration's National Operations Manager. So he's responsible for air traffic control in the USA. And if you think about it in that particular role, thinking outside the box is the last thing that you think you're going to need to do. You know, controllers live by rules and regulations and protocols and procedures. And, you know, as we well know that the terrorist attack, that terrorist attack that day really changed everything. He had to go completely off script. He had to face the level of uncertainty and he had to work out how to land 4,500 aircraft and 35,000 people safely. Now, he also had to work out which aircraft were friends and which were foes. Now, the, you know, the, the positive part of this story um, is that he was successful in landing all friendly aircraft that day. And the way that he did that was he had to face the reality of the situation. 
He had to accept the level of uncertainty and he had to choose to control what he could and then trust others. And that then freed him up to make the right choices. And I just think that that's a, a really great story of someone who um, practiced getting comfortable, uncomfortable, faced the uncertainty and identified what he could and what he could not control. Yeah, what a dramatic example too. Well, and it's another example of, of how you can actually, I'm sure he felt and his people felt the fear and anxiety in that situation. And you talk in the book about turning it to our advantage, which is, mm-hmm. uh, was great news to me because <laughs> as, a, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you inevitably you come up against those things. So tell us yes. a bit more about that. Yeah. So um, we talk about energy a little differently. So as you said, um, we see that anxiety is actually the ultimate source of energy in ourselves and our organizations to really help mobilize others and lead ourselves and others through change. So we like to use a metaphor and we use a metaphor of a rubber band to think about this. So if you look at a rubber band without stretching it or doing anything, you can notice that it, you know, it doesn't do anything. It just sits there and put in human terms. We like to call this too little anxiety and too little anxiety is where complacency lives. You then, if you take the rubber band and put it around your wrist and pull it back and let it snap, it would hurt, of course. So the energy from the rubber band released in the wrong way causes a negative outcome and it stings when it snaps back. And in human terms, this is what we call too much anxiety. And too much anxiety can have a negative impact because it can overwhelm or or create chaos. So what we're looking for as leaders is we're looking for the sweet spot, which is just enough anxiety. And it's different for uh, individuals and it's different depending on the organization that we're operating within. So between those two extremes is where personal change and transformation can happen. Mm. Um, And so that's what we refer to as just enough anxiety. And if we think about leading through change, um, there's three ways that we can lead with just enough anxiety. And we refer to these as um, common paradoxes that we need to manage within ourselves and within our organizations. And the first we refer to is confident humility. So it's both having the confidence in what you know and what you need to do and being open to learning from others and growing new capabilities. The second is about learning how to be realistic or practice realistic optimism. And what that's about is being flexible and focused on what you want. And the third one is about constructive impatience. And that's about being encouraging with yourself and others and stretching yourself and others out of their comfort zone. And by practicing those three paradoxes, that's how you can apply the just enough anxiety um, concept into real leadership actions. Mm. Well, I, that constructive impatient patience was a concept I was really interested in, in and intrigued by when I read it. That that's really in your fourth step of becoming conscious, right? The, the step yes. Up and, Yes, that's right. How does that play out for leaders? Because I I know certainly entrepreneurs are full of of impatience at times. I know I am and and other leaders too. Um, How does that that work? 
Yeah. And, and it's about how do you leverage both sides of the paradox? So building awareness of which side you tend to fall on. So are you more um, constructive or are you more impatient? And if I just sort of use a, a real example to bring this to life, if we think about Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, and Jeff Bezos, um, the Chairman and CEO of Amazon. Mm -hmm. So Angela, who came to you know West Germany as a divorced 35-year-old, um, she is you know, responsible for governing 87 million people and she tends to see solutions where most people see confusion. Um, this allows her to challenge people in a constructive way to high levels of performance. So she knows how to bring the best out in people and she tends to be more on the constructive side. Mm -hmm. And so what she had to learn to do was to actually move more on the impatient side so that she could actually leverage you know, the, the advantages of the impatient side, which is pushing people with that level of anxiety they need in order to, to drive change. On the other side, we have Jeff Bezos, who tends to be more on the impatient side. And if you think about, you know, um, some of what he's had to do, uh, you know, he launched Amazon in 1994. He oversees 150,000 people and he has, you know, 90 billion in revenue. And so his focus has really been speed. He's wanted to build the world's largest online superstore and it's branched out as, as we know. Um, and he's been obsessed with customers and growth and applying just enough pressure to push the limits. But he's had to learn how to balance that with being constructive. And so um, both of them now practice uh, constructive impatience and which is really what we need in order to mobilize people and get the best out of people so that's the, the concept that we talk about in stepping up around leading with constructive impatience yeah, it's a great balance to to speak about because you uh, there's a tendency at times to be hesitant about moving forward and if you can impel or help impel people towards action there's the that impatience element at the same time that you're cre creating an environment where people are being creative and coming up with ideas and, and moving in that direction too. So it, there's a, there's a tolerance for paradox in that. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you want, you want to leverage the best of both um, sides of the paradox. Yeah. Well, something that I thought of in the, as I was reading the book uh, is that you, you talk about making a conscious choice to understand both sides of an issue. So I'm very grateful that you introduced that because I think that's so important, especially now we're living in divisive times and civil discourse has become mm -hmm. more rare and, and perhaps less valued even. So engaging people in, with different views and conversation and actively growing and developing that capacity, why do you think that's so important? Yeah, I mean, we we believe that that's so important because, as you mentioned, you know, cynicism and diminishing trust are really impeding our ability to solve the most complex problems. Um, you know, if we think at a, a level of society, um, you know, things like human rights and discrimination, the poverty gap, you know, these are complex issues that we need to be able to understand both sides of the issue. And then if we think at the organization, in an organizational context, we again need to bring diverse views um, and perspectives together. And if, we, if we're judging those who have different views as the enemy, 
um, and we're no longer civil in the way we engage in dialogue with each other, then it just really creates toxic environments, mistrust and unproductive silos. And we're not able to really deal with those complex issues that we need to come together around. So um, in Stepping Up, we talk about um, engaging in a way that is civil and understanding that there's a human being on the other end of every connection and every dialogue that we're in. Yeah, which I think is, I agree, is so valuable. So mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about leaders and the individual effects of impact. And you have, my apologies, of being conscious. And you have uh, touched on this a number of times, but just to bring it more to the fore, why is it, how can, how can we build teams and organizational cultures that are more conscious? Why is that mm-hmm. important? Yeah. And we actually believe leadership is not just about being a senior executive, but leadership occurs everywhere in the organization because really the pace of change is required that people are are more conscious um, and that we need leadership at every level. So we don't see leadership as a status, but we see it as a verb. Everyone needs to do it. And the way that we are um, working with organizations within my company at Healthy Companies is that firstly, we work to scale our development initiatives across an organization. So we work with individual and teams to develop the full practice of becoming conscious. Um, We then need to make sure that we're also addressing uh, middle managers in the middle of the organization. And so what we're doing there is we're internally certifying organizational development and OD specialists to deliver solutions to middle managers. And then for first-line supervisors and individual contributors, we're using either blended or digital delivery mechanisms in order to provide those skills that they need to become more conscious. But it's not enough just to focus on developing individuals to become more conscious because when we go back to our our day-to-day roles, we're operating within the context of a system. And so as you mentioned, the organizational culture is really key in whether we'll be supporting those new behaviors and mindsets or whether um, we'll actually be held back. And so what we also need to do and what we do with our clients is that we also provide consulting around what are those organizational accelerators that are going to push you forward in order to support conscious leadership and what are those hijackers at the organizational level that are going to hold you back so if I just give you some real examples you know common organizational accelerators are things like having inspirational leaders having a compelling mission and purpose um, having organizational agility and effective leadership development initiatives work-life integration policies etc um, on the other side, organizational hijackers that can get in the way of creating this culture are things like having a, an unhealthy executive team, uh, politics and personal agendas, sabotaging silos and, and structures, and unpredictable execution and being out of touch with customers. And the list goes on, but just to give you a few examples. So it's really about um, giving individuals the skills that they need and supporting the organization to to do that, but also making sure that we're looking at what's happening at the system level that's either going to support or hold back um, people in, in actually practicing that day-to-day. I'm glad to hear that you mentioned that the sense, strong sense of purpose is an accelerator because there's uh, that it ties in with so much of what you've said, and um, I was very struck by that when you said that. Mm-hmm. I. I also am, I mean, we've talked a lot about leaders and organizations, but I'm also curious about how your work has affected you in your own business. 
how has it changed the way that you work and uh, the way you move through challenges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've um, just become much more aware of how um, my environment impacts me personally and what I need to do to um, be more conscious in how I show up. So whether it's with my colleagues or my clients. Um, And so one of the things that I am more aware of is firstly being gentle with myself, um, taking small steps and and keeping my eye on my desired future of, in in my case, it's about changing the world one leader at a time. Um, I also have daily practices that I have put in place in order to make sure that I'm managing the stress um, and the strains of, of operating in this disruptive mm-hmm. world. So, you know, I, I do practice a lot of self-care and we, we talked about mindfulness. Um, so mindfulness is a daily practice of mine. And also I'm absolutely um, passionate about taking care of my physical health because as we operate in these global roles, you know, where we're traveling and we're on different time zones, um, we need to take care of ourselves. So, um, you know, whether it's just simple things like getting enough sleep and exercising daily, um, that's a part of my, my conscious practices in order to, um, you know, really demonstrate and, and practice, you know, what we're talking about within our book. Mm-hmm. What's, what's a mindful pra- mindfulness practice that you use? Um, so simply I take, so when I drive to work, I will park in the, the garage and I will just take 10 minutes in my car before I get out and and walk into the office or walk into uh, my client's office um, just to practice being mindfulness. So just being aware of my breath, any sensations in my body um, and just noticing my breath and I'll take 10 to 15 minutes. It's all that it's needed. And that really just gets me very present um, before I then head into the office and and face my Mm, day. That's great. I, uh, I think that's a great idea to do it in your car before you go into the office. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You can recover from the commute. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, Kate, at the end of each of these interviews, I do a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you game? Can you answer those? Yes, okay. I'd love to. So what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? One of the biggest things I've learned is that the smallest of acts can actually be transformational. Mm. So simple example of just taking time and thoughtfulness in sharing appreciation with a colleague. It may be with a vendor or a partner um, or with a client can really increase engagement and performance and can have quite an impact. So what's the one thing you've consistently done that has contributed to your impact the most in success? Yeah, and these are, and, and, and I'll actually provide two, but these are related. So one is about practicing deep curiosity and lifelong learning. And the second that's related to that is seeing that every new connection is an opportunity to share and learn from others. Mm. I love that. That's a, that's a beautiful way of putting that. And last question, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with someone who's thinking, I'd like to have more impact. I'd like to move into a greater state of consciousness so that I can do that. What, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say that think about what really matters to you, um, whether it's a, a new business idea, um, you know, and then think about, you know, what do you have energy around and how can you look for partners who are like-minded, whether it's entrepreneurs or other business leaders, to then simply go out and test your ideas Um, So just take one step towards that and then test your ideas and get some feedback and then go from there. 
Those are great. Well, thank you so much, Emma Kate, for joining us today. I really appreciate your, um, I appreciate the research that you've done, and I really appreciate so many things about what you've said about leveraging your accelerators and working with your hijackers and um, in, in uh, both as a leader and as a, someone in an organization and, and contributing to building that culture. It's my absolute pleasure, and thanks for inviting yeah, me. My pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yes, so I'm on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram, and um, you can also find me on our Healthy Companies work. Uh, oh, sorry, our Healthy Companies um, internet site, so uh, healthycompanies.com. Um, and... Um, I'd love to hear from anyone or get some feedback and comments. Great. And your book's available in the usual outlets? Yes. So you, you, Amazon.com is probably the easiest way to find Great. that. Okay. Super. Well, thank you again, Emma-Kate. I certainly appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much, Isla. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.